I knew that I was good at sales. I was good at training people. Like I was good at taking something complicated and simplifying it, which is funny because I think that became a gift for me. Hi, baby. Hop in the Lamborghini. Uh, I'm needy. I'm me only. I'm needy. Uh, hi, baby. Hop in the Lamborghini. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to an episode of Stroke of Success podcast. As y'all know, um, when I started this podcast four months ago, um, I I was my mission was to find entrepreneurs with amazing stories to share with my audience, especially after my story, um, my setbacks, you know, and I'm standing in front of you. I like to find people that are, are examples of that, that have been through hell and back understanding with a smile so today's guest is a very special guest for me and my wife she wants to be here right now more than i do probably i found edwin on a tv show called real housewife housewife of beverly hills but the show was not the thing for me it was the fact he was an entrepreneur and he was a successful entrepreneur and so I, of course i went down the rabbit hole i started doing my research and he's been popping up everywhere he did a keynote for danny morrell years ago i love danny morrell so Edwin, welcome to the show. Thank you for being on. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, KB. Uh, it's good to be on. <clears throat> Thank you so much. So uh, again, Edwin, I don't want to make you, I don't want to embarrass you too much, but like I have saw, I have done a lot of research on you and it's been coming for the years before this. Mm. Um, you know, I just, the fact that your story was just so, it shook me when I heard it. And today I want to share that with my audience, my, my viewers, my listeners that, you know, what you went through. Can you start with where, you, where were you born and raised? So, yes, I was born in Bogota, Colombia. My parents and I came to the U.S. when I was six years old. Uh, they came in search of that American dream. However, that American dream quickly became an American nightmare. And due to some unfortunate circumstances, I pretty much had to become the head of household by the age of 15 years old. And at the time, I was lucky enough to get a job working at a call center, which wasn't an ideal type of job for me with how shy and how timid I was. But I quickly got the courage to do this job that I did not want to do in my desperation to just help my family out. Because at that point, I was just tired of seeing my mom not be able to pay for the rent at the end of the month. I was tired of us not having enough food at the end of the month because we ran out of food stamps. I was tired of my siblings, mother and I living in this tiny little bedroom. And I was just tired of roaches waking me up in the middle of the night. So the avoidance of pain caused me to take action towards something that really demanded more than I thought I was worth. And even though I was a very shy and I was a very timid kid, the one thing that I did have going for me was that I was a big dreamer. I remember at 12 years old, I'd have to stay home by myself. And I would just think about how one day by the age of 21, I was going to make 100 grand a year. I didn't know how I was going to do it. I just knew that I was going to do it and I was going to figure it out. And I would think about this number thousands of times. And that number was linked back to really being able to help my family out, get out of the situation uh, that we were in. So when I got that job at the call center, I just, again, I used common sense. And I just thought to myself, well, if I'm going to make a hundred grand by the age of 21, I guess I better become the manager of this place by the time I'm 18. 
And then I just focused on the, on the, on the things that I could control at the time, which were, I knew I could outwork everybody and I knew I could just prepare and I became really good with the small things so that when the big opportunity came, I was going to be ready for it. And all these things that made it seem impossible for me, like the fact that people working at this call center were going to college, were way better communicators. A third of them were probably twice my age. I just thought, you know, God will put the right people in front of me to make kind of the impossible possible if I could just focus on what I can control. And sure enough, at 18 years old, I got the opportunity to become the youngest manager in company history. Again, not because I was the most talented, but uh, because the six people in front of me that were way more deserving than I was all got fired for doing some things they shouldn't have been doing at a party uh, okay. weekend. And that's how I got my shot. Yes. So I mean, you, you, you skipped a really, um, I don't know if you want to talk about a very epic moment, your father. Yes. And what happened with him and how that one night they knocked on your door and yeah, it was basically two weeks after coming to the U.S. I was six years old, and sure enough, it was a tough day because that day was the first day of school as well, and I was like the only kid that didn't speak any English. Uh, Might have been the only uh, you know brown-haired, brown person in the classroom, too, so it was kind of a weird day for me. I spent the entire day crying at school, and then that same day, it was 5 o'clock in you know, I hear a door knock and as I'm about to go answer that door, the door gets kicked down and it's a bunch of people with guns drawn. And as that door gets kicked down, there's another door that gets kicked down, which is the back door. And then it was basically a, a raid and they turned that house upside down and they were looking for, for, my, for my parents. And they both went to jail that day uh, they got acquitted of all charges eight months later. And here we were thinking that the nightmare was over. However, the nightmare was just beginning because every year after that, our home would get raided. And then finally, on the fourth, fifth time, uh, they were finally able to catch my dad. And this time they were able to put him away for a long time. And then his last words to me were, at the time, son, you need to become the man of the house. I need you to take care of, of this home. And I took those words very seriously you know my my dad was my hero still is my hero and I promised him that I would so that was a big driving force for me on you know wanting to take on things that that demanded more than I thought I was worth because I wanted to make sure I came through for dads wow that's a lot to unpack there so Edmund quickly how old were you when he said that to you those words 10 years old 10 years old wow Edwin, you understand that that couldn't have gone either way right that could have been like Drugs and, you know, absolute darkness or mm -hmm. you, which is the opposite, right? I mean, like the fact that you chose the the latter is, is, is huge. Um, and your dad sold drugs, correct? Yeah, I mean, I, he was, I guess, drug trafficking at the time. I didn't really know what he was doing at the time, but that's what he went to jail for, unfortunately. You make a lot of money, Edwin? You know, I did, you know, the the... It's interesting because growing up, I pretty much had whatever I ha wanted. Yeah. So it made me realize the, I guess, the, the, it made me realize how important having options were. 
right? And then when it all gets taken away from you, because my dad did leave us some money, but then two years into, after he was in jail, we lost everything we had, you know, and so much so that again, I had to get a job at the age of 15 years old, but sort of having whatever I wanted and then it all being taken away where now my siblings, we didn't even have money for their shoes and we didn't have enough money to eat. Like I said, seeing that really tore me up. So I just knew that I wanted to get us back to a situation where uh, we just had more options, you know, and, and I knew that um, I didn't want to, I wanted to do it the legal route because I didn't want to end up in jail. That was one thing. And then, you know, I think my, you know, my mom turned to faith at that point and faith became a big part of, of us. And, you know, at 15 years old, I remember she would always pray over me every morning, every night. And it gave me confidence. It gave me confidence that I wasn't alone. And it gave me confidence to, you know, take on things that really I probably wouldn't have done if I didn't feel like God was with me. I agree so, with you. Um, you know, yes. that was a big part of, of going the, the correct way was having faith, uh, faith. at an early age. Faith. Faith over fear. Um, Edwin, so you were good in school, a good student? Was not good in school, unfortunately. I was, uh, I graduated with a 1.8 GPA from high school. My last year, I took basic math. <laughs> so I never took geometry. I never took algebra. I never took any of that stuff. But again, I, I, I noticed in high school, what I did have going for me is I had pretty good influence. Like people trusted me, people liked me. And I knew that that was a gift that could be used for good. And as I started working at this call center, I, I, I realized that I was pretty good at, you know, sales as well, which is influence, right? Sales is pretty much influence. And, um, you know, I focused on those three things. I knew, I knew that I was good at sales. I was good at training people. Like I was good at taking something complicated and, and simplifying it, which is funny because I think that became a gift for me in that, it's hard for me to understand things sometimes. That's why I didn't pretty, that's why I didn't do as well in school. So what I found myself having to do is sort of dumb proof things for myself so I could really understand it. But then that unlocked a gift, which was I was able to take complicated things and teach them uh, in a very simplistic way where I was able to go after the masses. And then that allowed me to scale businesses. It allowed me to scale my sales numbers because I was able to take something and replicate it uh, so that it can go to the masses. So that ended up being a gift and I knew that I was I was a pretty good trainer. So I was good at sales, I was good at training. And then I knew I could lead people. Uh, so I knew I had those three things going for me. Yeah, influence, you know, part of building a company is you gotta be a good recruiter, you know, and, and recruiting is influence. Recruiting is selling. You know, it doesn't matter even if you're not in sales, if you're gonna open up a doctor, practice or uh, a lawyer and you want to have your own practice like 100%. sell 100%. people right so yeah. um, that became uh, a good gift that I knew I had was that I, I could influence people and that obviously has helped me in putting bringing people to my companies that are way smarter than me that can help me on the things that maybe I'm not as good at question so 15 years old, went to the workforce, started working, started earning. Um, when did this 
your current your you mean I think it's called Skyline. Yes, Skyline. Okay. When did you approach? When did it approach you? The the, the security industry, which been that's been your catapult. That's been your thing, right? That's the yep. one major thing that made you blow up. With that's other way around, you made it blow up. When did that come in your life? Yeah, great question, KB. So I was. I became the youngest manager at the call center, and then I became the right hand of the VP. And that was a big moment for me because, you know, part of growing your identity is association. When you start associating yourself with people that are doing better than you, and you start to take what they're teaching you and applying it, your mind begins to believe that you're just as good as them because you're like, I'm applying everything they're teaching me. They're worth 250 grand a year. So I guess I must be worth 250 grand a year. And that's what happened to me. So sure enough, when I became the youngest manager in company history, he took me under his wing, started working with them quite a bit, quite often. And then at 21 years old, he comes into my office and he says to me, hey, I'm going to start this home security company. He says, I can't guarantee you the uh, 70 grand a year that you make here. But if you make this work, you can possibly make a hundred, you know, six figures, seven figures a year. And I thought to myself, common sense again, I thought to myself, this guy's making 250 grand a year and he's resigning because he thinks he can make millions. I'm like, that sounds pretty reasonable. Second thing I thought was, man, this guy's going to mentor me how to start a company from the ground up. I'm like, this is exactly the mentorship I needed because I never went to college. And then the third thing I thought was, I knew I was a big dreamer. And I knew that, you know, I made a promise to my dad that when he when he got out of jail, he'd never have to work a day in his life. I made a promise to my mom that I was one day going to buy her her dream house. And then I had these huge, huge dreams of one day living in Hollywood Hills, overlooking the entire city. In fact, when I was 17, 16, 17 years old, I would ditch school, which is probably why I ended up with a 1.8 GPA. But I'd go to Hollywood Hills and Beverly Hills and I used to love the West side of LA. And I was like, man, I don't know how I'm going to do this, man, but this is, this is where I'm going to end up. And, you know, that's kind of the story of my life. I've never really focused on the how I just focused on the why and everything else sort of uh, has come into place, right? The right people start showing up when you start focusing on the things that you can control. And that's been literally the story of my life. Every, you know, everything I've done has been, a combination of the right people showing up at the right time because I've been focused on the things that I know that I could control and the gifts that I've had. And that's what happened. And uh, I took the plunge at that point. I, I resigned from the call center at the time that was paying me 70 grand a year. And I stepped into this opportunity, right? And you know, I, I often say the purpose of a goal is not necessarily to accomplish it, but to become the person that attempts it. And that's what I did. I attempted it and I gave myself a shot. And then when I succeeded at it, you know, my identity began to, to build from there. That's amazing. You believe in law of attraction. You uh, talk, yeah. You talk about it quite a bit. And I, and you talked about it in another show. I think it was, I think I forgot the gentleman who passed away. It was a... Uh, the muscular guy podcast you did a year two three years ago oh yeah sam yeah sam, very sad story he died but he, yeah that was he's he was amazing so i love that episode of his with you talk about my law of attraction when did law of attraction come into your life well early at 12 years old i'd I start visualizing 
me making a hundred grand a year all the time, I started visualizing, you know, in, I used to go to, um, again, I, I was at 12 years old. I was kind of alone all the time because my mom was always working. I remember going to the park and I spent hours at the park just visualizing, visualizing uh, sh shooting and making game winning shots and things like that. And, and as I think back about it, the important thing about visualizing is that you don't, when you visualize, you don't think of the how, because if you think of the how, you'll rob yourself from the dopamine release that you get when you visualize. And the reason that's important is because you want that dopamine release, right? Because that's what gets you addicted and hooked on going after your dreams. If you think of, again, if you I'm going to go a little dark on you, but if you think of drug addicts, if you think of alcoholics, some way, somehow they get their drugs, some way, somehow they get their, their alcohol, right? Even though they have no money, right? It's because they're, they're, they need that dopamine rush. Yep. So the idea is you can do the same when it comes to your dreams. But if you think of the how, you'll psych yourself out and you'll never get the, the dopamine release. Yeah. But you just have faith that it's going to happen. Eventually it's going to happen. And then the reason why too, so it does that. So it creates this urgency in you to want to go get it. But what happens is your subconscious mind now goes out of its way to go figure it out how to get it for you. So there's a thing called uh, the motivating system. R -A -S. Right? Mm -hmm. R -A -S, and that's exactly what it does, right? And the more you visualize, the more the RAS becomes familiar with it. And your subconscious mind will go out of its way to figure stuff out. Now, the key, though, is you need to prove to your subconscious mind that you deserve it, right? You're worthy. So you got to visualize, but then you also have to keep the promises that you make to yourself, because that's what builds the confidence. And as long as your subconscious mind believes that you can get it, you will get it. But that's the key part that I think a lot of people don't really teach about visualization is you can visualize all you want, yeah. but you can only receive what your mind can accept. If your mind can't accept that you deserve that, then you're never going to get it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. So, and also like law of action, right? to take mm -hmm. steps, right? Um, so Edwin, you said, so visualize at a young age, like you knew about that? Like you read a book back? I mean, back then, law of attraction was not even around, right? No, I, you know, I think the, you know, I, again, I think that's where uh, I've been very blessed with things that normally- People would not do at that age. About. To yeah. me, we're just kind of common sense. And, you know, I think- that wisdom that, that, that I believe I've had these years. And that's why I've always thought like God was with me because there's stuff that I was doing that I didn't realize there was a science to it until now that just kind of came organically for me, uh, you know, not knowing, I mean, now I can go back and I can basically reverse engineer my life and can, and, and I can connect all the dots on why I am where I am today. Um, Edwin, people have this thing, like people that are, you know, they have faith in God. They, some of them will come up to me, well, like I'm Muslim, right? 
Mm-hmm. And I say, well, how could you believe in law of attraction? Like God is the provider. God gives you everything. Um, what's your thoughts about that? You believe in God, I can tell, and you're on law of attraction. Do those two co-mingle in your opinion or to come together? Yeah, 100%. I think, again, if, if whatever you believe in, right, if, if you believe that you're not alone, it'll help you take on things that demand more than you think you're worth. So I often say that, you know, the first, the first thing you need to succeed is you need to have big hope. You need to have big dreams. Hope is dreams. Hope means something that you're looking forward to. It doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are, how successful you are. You should always have hope. And hope is something you're looking forward to. Hope is a new dream you have. And I've always thought your dream should be so audacious so that when you accomplish those dreams, people would know that God's hand had to be in it because there's no way you could have done that by yourself. Sure. That's why you you want to take on big things, Goals. right? Yeah. And you know, anytime you're going to do something great with your life, there's going to be great fear that comes with it, right? So you know, one of the ways that you build your identity, right? Because I think success starts with having big dreams, which is hope. That's number one. Your hope should be so big that you need to bring faith into it because you realize that there's no way you can do it without the faith part right? And then what happens is you need to believe in yourself. And the only way you start to believe in yourself is by growing your identity. And the way you do that is by putting yourself in circumstances that demand more than you think you're worth, and then succeeding at them. So if you really dissect that, if something demands more than you think you're worth, that means you're probably going to be scared, if something demands more than you think you're worth, that probably means you're not going to want to do it. If something demands more than you think you're worth, that probably means there's going to be a lot of resistance. So what happens is people often allow that fear to paralyze them. So they won't even give themselves a shot. Well, the thing is, you'll never believe something in your heart until you experience it. The subconscious mind will never believe you can do something until you experience something that makes it believe that you deserve it. But the only way you could start to believe it is by experiencing it. The only way you'll ever experience it is by stepping into the uncertainty of something that demands more than you think you're worth. And when you succeed at it, then you begin to believe. Then you erase all the doubt. See, once you can eliminate the doubt, you'll manifest anything you want. But you got to eliminate the doubt. And the only way you eliminate the doubt is by giving yourself a shot. Most people will never give themselves a shot. And I know for me, you know, I didn't want to be 70 years old, look up, look back at my life and say to myself, I got stuck being average just because I never gave myself a shot. Yeah. You know, I played it safe all the time. And, you know, if you play it safe all the time, you are literally squeezing God out of the formula. Because if you only go where you know you're going to succeed, if you only do the things that you know, then you're kind of squeezing God out of the formula, right? But that's why for me, I've always embraced 
stepping into things that demand more than I think I'm worth, which basically is uncertainty. Always embraced uncertainty because it is there that I know I'm going to grow. It is there that I know my need for God gets heightened. And it's there where he's always met me and we've always accomplished some great, some great things together. See, if you're, you got some God-sized dreams, you're going to have some God-sized problems. And it's in that time where it's in your best interest to, that you realize that self-sufficiency is no longer an option. And you're going to need a higher power to kind of get you through, through those tough times. Uh, That's powerful. Whenever you're going after big dreams, there's just always going to be a lot of resistance. And, you know, if you're struggling with faith, what I could tell you is all you have to do is become more grateful, right? The more grateful that you can become, um, then your faith will increase. And a big part of sustaining success for a long time is gratitude, right? Because when you have gratitude, you realize you don't take failure personal and you realize that it's not permanent. And you realize that there's so many things to be grateful for that it doesn't it implode you. So gratitude gives you resiliency. And uh, for me, gratitude has been a big part of my success. Gratitude is um, something that I, that I practice. It's non-negotiable for me. And when you're grateful, you'll eventually end up seeking faith. Wow. I mean, uh, <laughs> I thought it would be a very um, casual talk. You, uh, that was amazing. Thank you, Edwin, for sharing that. I have so many to uh, dissect, but we'll do this another time, part two, perhaps, because there's so much stuff you dropped there. For my viewers, listeners that are watching this episode or listening to this episode, driving, sitting in your office, I mean, to have faith, I think the key thing to summarize you, Edwin, faith is super important. For example, I'm looking to do a big move right now myself in the entrepreneurial space. Uh, this is the biggest move I'm making, and I'm super scared. I'm so sick. I'm like, oh, what if I fail and all that? But to your point, if I bring God into it and have faith and say whatever's going to happen, God has my back, you know, we move forward, ultimately yeah. speaking. You know, to that point, KB, I think, you know, those dreams that God places in your heart to do big things, I don't think he places them there so you can accomplish them, but I think he places them there to draw you closer to him because he realizes that eventually you realize you can't do it by yourself and you're going to have to call on him to also help you, right? And it's why I think it's so crippling to give up on your dreams because when you give up on your dreams, there's a part of you that will never get as close to your faith as you would have by going after your dreams and accomplishing your dreams, I think is a, gives you a huge validation that there is a God out there. Cause you're like, man, there's just no way I could have done that by myself. Yeah. There was no way that all these things sort of came together the way they did. So, uh, and again, and again, if you're not a person of, of faith, just know that 90% of winning in life is just being positive. So even if you take faith and just positive energy, right, versus negative energy, you know, fear and faith. Fear is the projection of something 
fear is the projection of the worst possible thing for the future. Sure. Faith is the projection of the most beautiful thing for the future. Sure. If you yeah. look at both faith and fear, they both haven't happened yet. They're both things that are projections. They both haven't happened yet. So why not be positive? So whether you like it or not, you're, you're faith-based. It's just, are you choosing to be positive or are you choosing to be negative? And for me, one of my biggest gifts is I've always been positive. I've always been able to figure out and take a negative and turn it into a positive. positive. Yeah. A lot of that comes from you just taking ownership over everything that happens in your life, not blaming people. Because if you blame people all the time, you don't have control because you can't control the way people are going to act towards you. But when you take ownership, you have full control and sure. you can you can recover faster, right? Sure. Everyone's going to fall in life. You're always going to fall. It's just how fast do you get back up? Because some people get back up, but it takes them a year to get back up. Sure. Which is you get knocked down and a week later you're up or a day later you're up and you're like, yeah. man, I'm gonna, I got punched, but now I'm going to punch even harder. I'm going to attack yeah. even harder. So, um, you know, and in fact, I'm a big Proverbs guy, and I think it's Proverbs 24, 16 that basically says even the righteous will, will fall seven times, but they'll get back up an eighth time, right? And the word seven in that verse really means uh, infinity, right? And I think it says, but the wicked will fall and they'll, they'll never get back up. Uh, so even if you're a if you're big on faith and 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 God is with you, right? And you believe God is with you, guess what? You're still gonna get punched in the face. You're still gonna get knocked down, but are you gonna get back up? And that's sure. the, the resiliency, right? That's and true. That's 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 what happens when you are positive. You get back up. You know, yeah, that yeah. goes back to the gratitude, right? The reason you get back up is because you're like, okay, this isn't permanent. You realize it's just a temporary discomfort. You realize it's just a part of life and you realize that you don't take it personal either. You're like, yeah, life and pain are inseparable. Like I'm supposed to go through pain. Like everybody has to go through pain and you get back up and life and pain again is, is um, it's inseparable. You know, if you think about it this way too, KB, every time you have a, in life, you're always going to have a purpose, right? You have to have a purpose, right? That purpose, because again, if you don't have purpose, which is hope, right? Something you're looking forward to. If you don't have that, you have despair. So you always have to have a purpose. That purpose is always going to come with a problem. A purpose and problems, inseparable. They're together. Yeah. Your job is just to solve it, right? Once you solve it, then you get to celebrate. And I call it, you, you have restricted freedom and the reason it's restricted is because that's when you get to be present that's when you celebrate but you've got to find a new purpose after that so the game of life i believe is having these three things in your life all the time which is purpose problems and restricted freedom and it has to be all three out at the same time because if you just had purpose for instance i mean i'm sorry if you just had problems and you didn't have no purpose right um you you would start your own bad problems. Does that make sense? Because there's right. no problems. So you'll just start you'll start creating your own problems. But like 
we want challenges in our life because if you don't have challenges, A, you're not going to grow. And if you don't have challenges, you're going to be bored. And I can tell you that every decision I've made, every dumb decision I've ever made is because I've been, I've had too much time in my hands and I haven't had a purpose at the time. Wow. You have 10 minutes, Edwin? Yeah. Okay. Quickly, I'm not, uh, so I'll, I'll, I think we, we text back and forth about my, my story. I had a stroke five years ago, 35, mm -hmm. one daughter running around, one on the way. And Edwin, I swear to you, like my family came in, said goodbye to me. I'm in a ventilator, coma, the whole nine. And when I woke up, miracle of God, the doctor came. My wife was a physician. He goes to my wife, hey, Dr. Rafiq, I don't think KB's going to walk or talk anytime soon. And I'm hearing that. And I'm like, you know, this is this is not it. This is not what God has. My story cannot end like this. Mm -hmm. And then just what you said, I woke up and like, you know, like um, you have to take a walker. You know, you can't walk. Just lay in bed, we'll, we'll take him. Like, no, give me a walker. Let me try it. You sure? I'm sure. Then like, you know, take, you, you have to use the walker for months. No, I'm going to do it one week and then see how I'm going to do it. And I'm going to walk after that. So to your point, I had so much faith in the man of upstairs, you know, and, and, and I think that was my saving grace was that, that I had faith that, you know what, God's with me. I'm going to try it. I'm going to keep pushing forward. And, you know, here I am. Right. Mm -hmm. So with, with that being said, um, Edwin, but I'm confused. Do you believe in law of attraction as a spiritual thing? Because some people say the universe delivers. The religious people, I know Christian and Jews and Muslims say, no, man, like, not the universe, it's God. Is that like, how do you explain that in your opinion? Yeah, so I think it's a, it's a combination of two, right? Um, you know, faith is part of faith. You know, we talked about even if you're not a person of faith, it's just being positive, right? But another part of faith is taking action before you have what you need, Right. Because again, you could visualize all you want and you could ask God all you want. But if you don't take action before you have what you need, you're not going to have the universe or God act on your side. Does that make sense? Yeah. So everything in life is reciprocal. Meaning if you want something first, you have to give it first. 100%. Right? So if you want faith to act on your side, then you have to take the first step. And when you take the first step, now it sends a signal to God that you do have faith and now it causes him to act, right? But if you don't take action before you have what you need, then you're showing him you don't have faith. There you go, boom, right and there. So- Money shot. In him, you don't have any faith. Why should he put the right people in front of you? Money shot, right? So that's that's kind of the way I look at it. So you know, I think you know they're both. To me, they're both the same thing, right? Same. You, yeah. You know, for some people, they want to call it the universe, call it that if that's what you believe in. I choose to 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 call that. That's God. That's my life, right? Edwin John Cougar Mellicamp. Yeah, I grew up his music, loved his music, still love his music. You are somehow connected to that name. Can you share how you connected to that name, that family? Yeah, so my wife, that's my wife's father, and I have tremendous respect for him. 
in that he's been doing what he's been doing for a very long time. And I'm a big fan of people that can sustain excellence for a long period of time because anybody can do things for a couple of years, five, 10, but man, can you do it for 20? Can you do it for 30? In his case, I think he's getting close to 50 years of being in the business and music out. Uh, We just came from his concert which is, you know, he's 72 years old now. And I mean, he looks like a 40 year old, 30 year old on stage. Looks amazing. Putting two hour shows and, you know, and just you look at his greatest hits and it's just like hit after hit. It's endless. It's like a three CD thing with him. And just to, to see him do what he's done. And then also to see him, you know, raise his kids the way he did. I mean, they're my, my wife is as humble as can be. So is her sister. And, you know, it's, it's good to the kids as well. So, I mean, his, he's got sons as well. So um, that's awesome. What he's all about. Um, so you Skylines took off, you became a part of it. Now you're an owner, you're CEO. Yeah. So I'm the CEO. I've been the founder. Uh, that's kind of my bread and butter business. I've had that for 24 years. You know, it's, it's, um, been a great journey. We are now doing, we'll do in the next three years, what's taken us 24 years to do, which is pretty cool. We're, we're growing, we're having explosive growth right now. And then I also have a solar company that is, um, that I just started about a year and a half ago where we do everything from A to Z, as far as the installs concerned. And then we do the sales as well. So we do pretty much the whole thing. The skyline, like, from zero to what in 22 years, 24 years, zero to like, what's val- what's the sales volume we do, you guys are doing right now? How many employees do you have? Yeah, so great question. So in the first uh, 23 years, we, we've made over 500 million and we're doing that now in the next two years. So what's taken us 24 years to do, we're now doing in the next two years. This year, we'll do about 60,000 installs on the alarm side. Um, so that alone will be about 100, you know, 20 mil in revenue. And then the solar side would do probably another 100 mil in revenue. So that's already like 240. So and then we expect to double up on God willing, we'll, we expect to do 100,000 next year on the alarm side alone. So it's um, again, once you have momentum, momentum is everything. Every time I've had momentum, I step on the gas most people, when they have momentum, they, they they start to take it easy. And momentum is so hard to get that when you have it, man, you you might as well work harder than you've ever worked because everything in life is a transfer of belief, sure. right? Even sales, when you think about it. Yes, it is. It's just believing, right? If, if you believe something in your heart, you'll be able to transfer it to other people. And when you transfer that belief, that's why they're going to want to do business with you. That's why the more certain person is always going to influence the less certain person. So, you know, for me, it's all about that conviction. And when you have that conviction inside of you where your belief level is through the roof, then you got to, you got to attack it. And most people do the opposite is they get that belief. They're on top of the world and now they take it easy. And when that punch in the face comes, they don't know how to react to it, right? Versus when you have momentum and you get punched in the face, it's not that hard to fix it. Make sense? You just freaking that's it. That you you crash that you you when when that punch in the face comes, like you don't yeah. even feel it because you got so much momentum that 
it, it, it's like a little jab that you just get over it, right? Yeah. When you don't have momentum and you get hit by a problem, man, that thing freaking takes everything from you, right? So it's why you want to keep momentum in your life when you have it. In fact, the best way to lose momentum is the best way to keep momentum is never to lose it. Awesome. Uh, that's amazing. I know we're tight on time quickly. Mm -hmm. Ooh, where do I go from this? Well, the housewife show, TV show, reality show, you on there for two seasons, three seasons, three seasons. What was your experience on that? Did he help you with business? Did he help you with influence? How was your experience? Definitely help with business. You know, I think it being on TV makes you look bigger than what you are. So that it helped in that way. I mean, my business was already big, but obviously being on TV allowed me to glamorize our lifestyle. You know, I was a guy that never liked to show the things that I had. I kind of like to keep those low profile, right? Uh, not that I wanted to hide them from people, but I just didn't want to be the guy that talked about it. And right. what was kind of cool for me, especially with sales, was that it did the talking for me. And it did what I call third-party verification, where you don't have to talk about yourself. There's other people talking about you to validate that what you say is true. So it helped in that way because it gave me great credibility. I started to attract sales guys that normally wouldn't have even known that our industry existed. You know, it got me on some pretty big shows that then allowed me to recruit uh, you know, my top guy in the company right now was able to recruit because he saw me on an interview with Grant Cardone and he sent me a DM saying that he was basically broke, no money, living with his parents again. He was 28 years old. This is five years ago. And, you know, this year he's going to make six million. So uh, awesome. wow. you know, last year he made seven figures for the first time. Amazing. Well for himself. So, you know, it, it helped in that way. I started getting people that reach out to me that I normally wouldn't have had reach out to me. But it's, a, it's a, what I love to do is I love to give people the opportunity that I've had. That's awesome. Uh, before we wrap up, you American, we'll get to part two in 12 months from now. I won't bother yeah. you in person. I'm going to fly, fly out to you one year from now. We'll do a part two. I have to ask you about how do you manage, how do you lead a marriage? You're both a power, powerful people. Both of you as hardcore, successful people. We'll leave that for part two, I guess. Edwin, thank you so much for jumping on board and doing yeah. this for my viewers. Doing it for me. More than anything, I'm a fanboy, man. Like, you're awesome. Okay, but Well, you, you're awesome too, man. You got a thank tremendous you. story yourself. And you, uh, obviously, what you went through is is something else. And now you get to you know, use that story to, to inspire the masses. Thank you, Edmund. Thank you so much. So we're on for part two in a year time. Yes, sir. You're the man. You're awesome. Thank you, Edmund. Thank you for your time today, man. Bye KB. Thank you so much. Bye.